Well, good morning. Thank you all for being here today. <clears throat> today as we gather as the body of Christ. As we come to sing to our Lord and God as we open up the breathed out word. Notice here, it is here where we are cut with the truth. You know, as, as Hebrews 4.12 talks about, 4.12 and 4.13, you know, talking about, you know, this is, this is where the Word of God is animated. It is alive. It tells us truly of who we are and of who God is. Here is where we come to give God glory and to serve each other and to be equipped for the work of the ministry out there out there in the in the world as we as we look at humanity you know humanity we like our groups and i think of the old time movie um back in the 80s it was uh, the breakfast club you know the nerd and the jock and the drama queen you know and the i think the weirdo as well you know with Emilio Estevez it's an old movie but there's all these different groups that these teenagers are a part of. You know, we see this come about after languages are made a thing, after the Lord God comes down to Babel and confuses the languages. We see that in actual history that the big difference between civilizations is that walls came to be a part of life. Uh, there's actually a Great resource on this. Maybe we'll have to check it out one day. Uh, it's the Is Genesis History um, conference that they, they had after their movie had released. They had a conference in 2016 where uh, Doug Provich spends about an hour on this subject. Uh, he's an archaeologist that has studied uh, this actual phenomenon that happened in the Middle East in the area of Mesopotamia after the tribes uh were given different languages. You know, there are tribes of people throughout history, nations and states. Even from different parts of the country, we see that upbringing to religion to even hobbies will have all of these differences that divide us, that group us here or there, from Bronco fans to people that don't know much about sports. Some groupings, you know, their, you know, their statement, you know, those groupings come from inside the group. It, it has a statement, you know, this we believe or for this we stand. That's why, you know, constitutions and, excuse me, constitutions and <laughs> doctrinal statements are a thing of the church. We, we are about this. We group together as this, where other groupings come from outside a group, which state this, you know, those people are weird or or those people are hard to befriend or those people are different. You know, today in scripture we'll see two different groups come together in yet another amazing conversation in the gospel of John. We see that the son of God comes to Samaria and talks to a woman about water and living water and tells her that he is in fact the Messiah. To see the history of these two groups of the Jews and the Samaritans, we have to look at what has happened to make them different 
even though they are very close in proximity to one another. The history of these two areas of the Promised Land goes back to the Old Testament times when the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel split. There is this province, this region of Samaria, and then there's actually a city of Samaria, which in fact actually became the capital of the northern kingdom. It fell to the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. It was repopulated by foreigners, as uh, 2 Kings 17.24 tells us. So as we see from biblical history, that the Samaritans are actually a mixed people group. They also knew the God of Israel, but worshipped him along with pagan foreign gods. So both the mixing of Jewish blood and the mixing of Orthodox practice with pagan deities is seen as a huge affront to God within the New Testament law. When Zerubbabel came to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, the Samaritans actually offered to help. That offer was rejected, and then they tried to even stop the Jews from completing their project. This is recorded in in Ezra. When Nehemiah was coming to rebuild the wall, the Samaritans opposed him as well. In most of the book of Nehemiah, chapters 2 through 6, you you see a lot of that. The Israelites post-exile war for purity. It was a huge push by Ezra, a huge push by Nehemiah, that we see that, that those groups that had been mixed with other foreign land foreigners were something that was off-putting. The final break that we see between these two groups of the Samaritans and the Jews is one of worship, of where the house of God really was. These breakdowns and arguments span into the time of Jesus, where the promised land was divided into three provinces at this time after the death of Herod the Great, the Romans took it and divided it into Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. Because of their intermarriage with foreigners, the people of Samaria were shunned by Orthodox Jews. Judea was the Orthodox Jews, the Jews of blood. They could find their ancestral lines, whereas the Samaritans and the Galileans were of mixed intermarriage. This is actually a commandment specifically given to Israel because it would, in fact, to lead people away from the Lord to worship other gods when we can actually see that that happened to the Samaritans. The Galileans were mostly devout Israelites. They, they still worshiped the Lord God. Well, we find that commandment in Deuteronomy 7, 3 and 4. Now that's that's specific to Israel. Our our Lord Jesus the Messiah came to break down all of these walls, and we see that the book of Acts really poignantly tells us that you know Galileans, Israelites, Samaritans to the ends of the earth are all that wall those walls are broken down, that all 
of the divides, all of the groups, all of the nations and the peoples. Jesus Christ can bring them all together. Galatians, Paul says it well in Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our cultures, our civilizations, our, our gender make us different. We are, we are different. You know, male and female are different, but formed by God. But in Christ, all are one because all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. At the cross, we can receive his grace and mercy. And in Christ Jesus, we can all be made new creations and seated in the heavens with him. The Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Galileans and the Samaritans all didn't really get along. They were all against each other. So what happens when Jesus comes to town? Not a town of Galilee where his followers had come from, or not a town of Judea where he had worked his wonders and spoken most of his ministry of, of late in the first part of the Gospel of John. No, now he comes to Samaria. Well, let's go to a word of prayer before we go into the text today. Uh, Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for everything that you have given us, Lord. And we just pray, pray that your word would pierce us through. Pray that you would ready us for what you have before us. And Lord, that we would just be encouraged by your word today. We thank you for everything that you have given us, Lord. And we just thank you for a beautiful day that we can enjoy. We pray for all of those that aren't feeling well. And pray for all of those that are just down and out with everything going on. But we pray earnestly that the body would be the body that we would come together and worship and praise you and, and learn from your word but also go forward and be about the good works that you have set before us lord in the name of jesus we pray amen well go ahead and turn your bibles with me to the gospel of john and we'll be in the gospel of john chapter four today well, we're just cruising right along, you know. Seems like not that long ago we were in chapter 1, but now we are starting chapter 4 today. Well, let's read verses 1 through 6, which record this. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Well, after Jesus and his followers were in the countryside, after his, the followers of Jesus were baptizing disciples, the report came. The breaking news came out. It was heard that Jesus had more followers now than John the Baptist. We saw this earlier in the gospel account as the followers of John the Baptist had seen this actually take place. 
and we're talking to John the Baptist about it back in John 3, 22 through 30. So now it was known by the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees, as we've talked about before, the ultra-traditionalists of the day, they were the ruling religious elite who weighed down the rest of the land with tradition. But they, they now knew this about Jesus, that he he had more followers. So So Jesus left the region of Judea. He made his way back up to Galilee, as that's where Jesus and his followers had come from as they had come down to Jerusalem for the Passover, Passover feast. And when he left, he, he had to, the text said, he ought to, or he must go, or he found it was necessary to go through Samaria. See, Jews at this time actually went around Samaria to Galilee. They did not pass through it. But Jesus found it necessary to go there, to walk a land that many did not unless they lived there. So we see that it was on purpose that Jesus went, that he brought his followers through a land, through the region of Samaria and traveled through it. As they traveled, they came to a name of a town, of a town named Sychar, which is near the field that Jacob had given to Joseph back in Genesis. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus sat because he was tired from the journey. And it was about the sixth hour, which in Jewish time is about noon or in Roman times, it is about four or five in the afternoon. The first part of John chapter 4 shows us this first part shows us that the God, the Son, God the Son, that He had come into the world, that He experienced everything that we do. Here we see Him tired from the journey. Elsewhere we see Him hungry. Uh, to see a little bit more, let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4 together. Hebrews chapter 4. And we'll be in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Here we see that Jesus even went through struggles and temptations as we did. The author says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Now we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with all of our struggles, with everything that we deal with, because he was tested in every way possible, 100%, and he was found to be without sin. He has no blemish, no little mark, and he is totally blameless. So we can have total confidence as we seek 
mercy and grace in our time of need at the throne of grace. And we see as well in Scripture that Jesus, the Son, weeps as he hurts in John 11. He weeps as Lazarus has died. He sweats droplets of blood as he is overwhelmed with sorrow and anguish of the coming of the cross. And he went all through, he went through it all to victory, to overcome. Please turn your Bibles with me over to John chapter 16. John 16, Jesus says this at the end of the chapter, verse 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now Jesus is readying his followers, telling them to have peace in him because in the world there is only trouble, there is only tribulation, which is actually defined as great trouble or suffering. We understand, or we will one day, that all of life is broken. That there is darkness and evil and pain and hurt here among us and in us. So let us take heart because Jesus has overcome the world which means he can overcome the darkness even within us. That is the grand truth of Christianity, that God has come to die for us sinners. And he did that, and three days later he arose out of the grave. And as we go on in the context here, we also see the one who overcomes what is wrong in us is sitting at a well. Please turn back in your Bibles with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 will go on in verses 7 through 15. John records this. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this well water will thirst be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will be Come in him, a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. 
As Jesus sat at the well and rested, a Samaritan woman came to draw water from the well, and, and Jesus asked her for a drink of water. And she questions him off the bat, why? Why is a Jew dealing with me? See, this doesn't happen. Jews and Samaritans weren't on talking terms. They didn't deal with one another. Jesus turns the conversation to spiritual matters. As he brings living water into it, he uses here and, and throughout the Gospels a practical illustration. This is water. This water is, is something that people need. People need to drink from. Well, what I have is living water, and that is something that people need, and people need it greatly. No, he tells her the truth that, in fact, if she knew who he was, she would want this living water that he alone can give. Thinking he was still talking about practical or physical water, she asked, well, how would you, how would you draw that up? For this, this well is deep. You know, it almost feels kind of kind of mockingly here, like, how are you going to do that? You don't have what you need to do that with. You know, but then she actually asks, well, where does that living water come from? But then she goes on right away to ask Jesus if he thinks he is greater than Jacob, who very much needed this well, who gave them the well, who drank from it as long along with his sons and his livestock. You know, they all needed water, so you do, right? Well, Jesus tells her the truth here. All need water, but yet all who drink from this well will come and drink again. For all become thirsty again. But everyone who drinks of the living water will not thirst again. They have in them a spring of water that wells up to eternal life. Well, the woman wants that water. So she doesn't have to come here and draw water anymore. She's still thinking physical water. But Jesus is speaking about a spiritual issue. The need for salvation. The need for living water. Is the deepest need of humanity. Now please turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49, verses 8 through 10. Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land to the appropriation of the desolate heritage. I say to the prisoners, Come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the way, and on the bare heights they shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pitied, pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. The Lord is one who saves. The Lord is the one who favors. He is the one alone who brings the day of salvation. And he comes to help. He comes to keep his covenant with Israel. And he will establish them in the land. And he will feed them. And he will give them pasture. Pasture even on the bare heights. And he will guide them by the springs of water. And he 
will do this. Now here we see this in the Gospel of John is talking to this woman about salvation, about eternal life. You know, the physical things matter. Physical water matters, but how much more does a soul matter? Please turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 8. We'll see this in Mark 8, 34 through 38. Jesus says this, And calling to the crowds with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would serve his life will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man who gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus calls to everyone around him, to come after him, to deny oneself, to take up the cross and follow him. For in this, you find your life. If you seek to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life to this, for, the, for his sake and for the gospel's sake, you will find it. Jesus then asks the question, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? If we gain what we want, what we need, and what we desire, and yet do not deal with the eternal weight of glory of our souls before God, then we will stand before God in judgment as sinners doomed to die. That's why the call goes out. That's why it is called good news that Jesus has come. That in trusting in him, that in placing our faith in him, we will find salvation and we will find the well where we can drink from and thirst no more. In the midst of the book of Revelation, John the Apostle sees this great scene of people all in white robes. And the angel that is with him tells of them who are before God and says this about them to John. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence, and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, and the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. And from the Lamb in the midst of the throne, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That sounds a lot like what Isaiah says. Now they will come and they will serve the Lamb. And they will serve Jesus. And he will shelter them with his very presence. And they won't hunger. They won't thirst. The sun doesn't even strike them. In fact, heat doesn't get to them at all. For the Lamb is their shepherd. He will guide them and comfort them. And this is a huge point of the whole Bible, is that we are unable to save ourselves. We are broken. We are old. 
insufficient and we are unable to find redemption anywhere else. So Jesus came to deal with our brokenness and to make sacrifice for our redemption and stand where no one else can as the one who is able. That is why he is the Messiah and he is the Messiah come to tell us all things about God. Well, please turn in your Bibles back to Gospel John chapter 4. And we will read verses 16 through 26. John records this. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is where people ought to worship. Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And Jesus tells the woman about living water, and she wants water. Now, physical, moreover, spiritual right now, I'd say. But that comes to change. Well, Jesus, in the conversation, tells her to go get her husband. Well, she tells Jesus that she doesn't have a husband. And Jesus tells her she is right, that in fact she has had five husbands. And the man she is with right now is not her husband. But Jesus knows her whole life. He knows who she is and who she's living with and how she is living. It's a very matter of fact of his omniscience, his ability as God to know everything. In this, she perceives that Jesus is a prophet and immediately changes the subject to one of worship. She asks him, is it this mountain or that mountain? That mountain. This was the split between the Jews and the Samaritans. Where does one worship? And the woman is wanting to see where the quote-unquote prophet stood upon it. Are you on my side or are you on your side? Jesus brings it to the hour that is coming. Where it will not be about a mountain. No, it will be about true worshipers of the Father. 
who worship him in spirit and truth. For God is spirit and God is the true one. And we are called to worship him in truth. In reality, we we need these things. We need the word of God to tell us what is true about him, to worship him correctly. Well, then the woman admits that she knows the Messiah, the anointed one of God, will come and tell them all things. You see, the Samaritans had that underlying understanding that they knew this from the scripture. And Jesus turns to her and tells her, I am the Messiah and I am speaking to you. You know, the Samaritans had some of this knowledge, some of what is coming and, and, you know, Jesus still says this to this woman that had some underlying knowledge that they worship what they do not know. For Israel, for the Jews, knew who they worshipped because we see that salvation comes from the Jews. Paul says this in Romans 9 about Israel. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. From their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God above all, blessed forever. Amen. This is where all the promises are. This is the people of the flesh, the family called out by God to be used by God to bless the entire world as Genesis 12, 1 through 3 states. This is where Christ comes from. He comes from the Jews. Now please turn in your Bibles with me to, to Acts 17. Here we see Paul preach a sermon to the Greeks of Athens, people who had no knowledge of God. But in Acts 17, verses 22 through 31, Paul says this. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Aragopagus, says, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." Being then God's offspring, ought we to think that the divine being is not is like it, divine being 
we ought not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone from an image formed by the arts or the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. Now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he gives assurance by all, to all by raising him from the dead. And Paul first says this. He sees that the men, the people of Athens, are very religious. And we can see that all cultures, all peoples, are constantly outpouring worship to God, or gods, to idols, to isms, to family, to hobbies, to work. And we don't see the idols of our day, but they are there, and we can, in fact, track them with our time, our money, and our energy spent. As Paul passed along, he saw an object, an altar, with this inscription, To the unknown God. This is called covering your basis. This is called not putting all your eggs in one basket. They wanted to please all of the gods. Well, Paul tells them, that what they seek to worship in an unknown sense, he has come to made, make known to them, to proclaim to them the God that has created everything, that he formed and framed man and placed them to live on the face of the earth. He has allotted their times, their boundaries, their dwellings, for he is the sovereign Lord of all. And he has done this so all would seek him and reach out to him. To the one who is near to each one of us, because by creation we can see that he is in fact the creator that has made all. And that we see that he is made, not in silver and gold, not in stone. No, he is far above all. And we are made in his image. And we are called and commanded to repent for the day of judgment comes a day has been fixed upon where she will judge the world in righteousness by a man who has been appointed, by a man raised by the dead. And we know this by assurance because he has been raised. Paul points to the man, Jesus Christ, using a fixed point in their culture. Paul speaks to them about Christ. Now, even today, we need to do this. We need to talk to the world about their wants and their needs and their desires from water to worship to everything and tell them, tell everyone, tell ourselves that only God can fulfill them. Not give them what they want, but give them what they need, which is a word from the Lord. The psalmist says it like this. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. The promises go to Israel, the statutes as well, the rules as well. The Lord dealt with Israel. No other nation knows the Lord. The Greeks didn't know the Lord. His covenant is with them as well, and it brings this blessing, this hope to all families. See, it wasn't just for Israel, but it was for all people to lay down the path for the Messiah to come. And that is why all the genealogies, I know those are hard parts of the Bible to read, 
But that's why those genealogies matter so much. It's because in it, we are to see that the Messiah is coming. That the appointed, anointed person, the suffering servant, the one come to die, is coming to tell us the truth, to tell us all things. Now please turn your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 2. In chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, I'll read what the prophet says here. <clears throat> it shall come to pass in later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the heights of the mountain and shall be lifted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You know, all of us here, all of us, unless you're Jewish, can be thankful that the Gentiles weren't some kind of add-on or afterthought. But no, the whole world, the whole nations are God's intended target through Israel. That people everywhere would come to Zion, come to Jerusalem, come to the house of the Lord and learn from him. That the nations would be taught by the Lord so that they could walk in his path. So that this is where the law is. This is where the word of the Lord is from. Is from Zion. It is from Jerusalem to bring all people to the house of Jacob. Now Jesus says this in Matthew 8, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ is the one who takes out of households to the house of Jacob to teach him. This is the king of the kingdom. And our king is calling all nations, all peoples to come to him and to be redeemed by his blood, the blood of the lamb, to take and drink of the living water he offers and spread the news to all nations that the Messiah is found. Just like the disciples did earlier in John, that we have found the man, we have found the Messiah, we have found the Christ, and his name is Jesus. Now today we see that Jesus and his followers had to go through Samaria. They found it necessary. We'll see more of what happens with the followers next week. Where Jesus talked with a woman about water and told her that he in fact is the Messiah. What this means is sometimes God takes us on a path to teach us things, to help us deal with people we may not like to. It means that yeah, that physical things do matter, but spiritual reality matters more, that we need to deal with that. You know, whether we drink physically bad water or spiritually bad water will affect us. If, if either side of that, either side of those are poisonous, they can kill us, they can maim us, they can hurt us. So we need to drink from living water on the spiritual side. We need to understand the truths of Christianity 
And we do this because eternity is longer than today or tomorrow will ever be. It means we come to know today, we come to see this, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one from God, come to seek and save those all who are lost, to be a ransom for all. So how do we apply this to today? How do we bring more of this theology into life? Well, in our day and age, we don't see many groups that are getting along so well anymore. You know, that might mean, hey, you don't go to this web page or you don't follow this person online or on Twitter or Facebook. We may very much speak ill of those that we don't agree with. But what can bring us together? What overcomes that which is within us? That which is affecting our communities, our cities, our, our nation, our world? Well, Paul speaks on this subject in Ephesians. He states this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separate, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of the promise. Having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down his, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinance, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two. So making peace might and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came to preach peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And that's Ephesians. Chapter 2, 11 through 18. The Jewish people held truth in their hands, and, and sadly, they were unfaithful with spreading that good news. You know, God's people had animosity or hatred towards the world. The Jews and the Gentiles did not get along. You know, we, the church, hold the truth in our hands that Jesus. Christ brings peace that in him there is one body in the blood of Christ there there is peace and whether we are near if you know your Bible if you go to church and you know all the lingo or if you are far off and if you've never been to church and don't care about God and couldn't give a rip about religion he came to die for you to die for me to die for all of us Jesus has come to break down those walls of those groups, of those us versus thems, of whatever keeps us from loving our neighbor, our fellow man. 
Jesus has brought peace and knowledge so our heart can exalt what the mind knows. He has revealed to us the unseen God so that we can come together. We can come together from all different backgrounds, all different hobbies and come together and worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for everything that you have given us. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that your truth rings out to all nations. Help us point people to you. Help us be about having conversations about you, Lord, about lovingly telling people about Jesus, about the Messiah. I just pray for everyone as they go about their day. Pray that they would have a good one. Pray for all those that aren't feeling well. Lord, we pray for everyone to be encouraged. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.